0: Hey, my name is Vitaly Klopot, and this is the Business of Education podcast. The podcast for higher education professionals looking for insights in the business of education. Each episode, I will be attempting to bridge the gap between business, marketing, education technology, and social impact through conversations with guests and friends. So this week, I sat down to talk to Peter Reed. Peter is the Managing Director of Interactive Pro, an OPM company that is close to my heart as I spent close to a decade there. Peter's online learning experience comes from Laureate, where he led product for the University of Liverpool and the University of Miami, to name a few. Enjoy.
1: Peter, welcome to the show. Hi Vitaly, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Where in the world are you? I am in a sleepy village in between Liverpool and Manchester. Nice. Um, have you have we always lived there? What's the name of it? No, I, I'm I'm from Inner City Liverpool originally, um, close to the University District, and worked in the University sector for a long time, um, but uh, moved out just over maybe eleven years ago to Lim. Um, it's just the other side of Warrington, in Cheshire.
0: Nice. Um, so, so for those who don't know, I used to live in Cheshire, so me and Peter. Have a little bit in common. Obviously, he's picked up um, the accent, and I didn't. Um, but yeah, uh, is, that, and, and is that
1: the crew? Crew,
0: the crew? Crew. <laughs> I, I, I have a crew, crew that I try and <laughs> I try my best to disassociate from. <laughs> um, but you know, people keep reminding me, so it is what it is. Sounds cool. Um, and so, Peter, me and you met when you joined Interactive Pro. And I think we had um well I remember meeting you for the first time and we we ended up talking I think for hours about OPM and and really building a good rapport and relationship and and to this date I think um you're probably my go-to person when it comes to looking at the OPM space, understanding what's happening, um, just really trying to digest what companies are doing, how universities are reacting. Um and and really trying to decipher the future of OPM. Um, but before we get into that, can we spend five minutes talking about you and your background? So just give us a little bit of an insight into how you got into the OPM space and, and your career so far.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, after leaving uni, kind of fell into... Um, you know, working around technology within the university space, um, that quite quickly materialised into um, more focused e-learning or technology-enhanced learning um, roles, um, and and progressed on quite quickly, really, to engaging in research, um, practicing, and and dabbling somewhat in online education some, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. Um, And recognising that it was an area that was certainly going to take off. um, Progressed on a little bit more um, when I was at, I used to work at um, a few different universities in the Northwest. So um, at Edge Hill University, um, I had like a, a learning technologist role and a project management role for some funded projects from the HEA and from JISC um not always connected to teaching so done a, a pg cert in learning and teaching um, on top of my masters um I had my first academic position at Manchester met teaching in the school of computing and teaching multimedia bit to web dev and, and, and things like that but also holding a, a strategic role for the implementation of technology within learning and teaching um uh, so I was there for a few years, moved to the University of Liverpool in a similar capacity, really, bringing um, academic um, leadership, if you like, to um, to courses that were not even my subject discipline. So I was a module lead in, in a clinical oncology module um, for example, but really partnering in, in that case, partnering with a clinical oncologist as a consultant um, who would obviously bring in the, 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 the academic subject knowledge there, but um, me holding a role to um, enhance pedagogy and learning and teaching and, and academic quality, but also using technology to do so. so this, you know, These were online courses as well. Um, at the time the University of Liverpool were partnering with um, Laureate Online Education. It was a pretty big deal um within certainly within you know uk public private partnerships um it was probably i think the probably the first of, of its kind um before laureate was laureate in that relationship it was um kit learning i believe um but um it was a, you know it was a, a large-scale partnership that we had i don't know a, Maybe close to twenty different uh, masters and doctoral degrees. Um, I think at one stage it was ten thousand online learners, truly globally, um, literally every country you could imagine. Um, I think at the time, actually, UK was probably a small proportion of of the the student makeup in in, in those ten thousand. Um, so yeah, an opportunity um, became available. Um, at laureate to lead product development or you know the development of the and the digitization teams um, at laureate in in respect to that partnership with Liverpool um so I interviewed for what seemed like a long time um, During laureate um, in that relationship um quite quickly their role evolved so i looked after um a number of laureate partnerships in respect respective product, um, particularly product development in the in the early stages. Um, so that was Liverpool, that was the University of Roehampton in London, and then it was the University of Miami in the US. Um, as I said, quite quickly, my role evolved there as well. So I was kind of promoted into into a, an executive director role, um, broadened my um, responsibility somewhat into more broad areas of what we call product. Um, and competitor analysis and all those type of, of, of things. Um, and um, the relationship between Liverpool and Laureate came to an end. You know, there were maybe 15-20 years as a partnership and um, I think both companies decided that it was maybe time to to go in different directions. Um, I was still you know working on other projects at Laureate but um, felt it was time for a move which is when obviously um, we, we started having conversations um, and I joined Interactive Pro, um, again leading product, um, and now as the managing director of our OPM business, um, partnering with universities to digitize content, get them online, market, recruit students, and, and deliver globally. That was a long, um, awesome. <laughs> didn't come up for breath there.
0: That's okay. Um, it- pretty awesome journey um i want to go back to your laureate days because i think certainly when we started speaking that was um clearly what excited me in 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 you joining interactive pro at the time um and i i really felt like the relationship between laureate and liverpool was a phenomenal success and a bit of a, a darling when it comes to kind of uh Uh, the relationship and how it's perceived. I think um, so many OPM uh, companies that are operating in the UK, higher education space, are essentially looking at that relationship and trying to emulate that in some shape or form. Um, And and we'll certainly come back and debate whether there will ever be a similar relationship. But how big was the uh, student body when you joined Laureate. Do you remember? Um, certainly well, from a Liverpool point of view.
1: Yeah, certainly certainly the the Liverpool partnership. Um it was probably somewhere between eight and a half thousand to ten thousand students registered for online degrees in that through that partnership. Um, and predominantly international? largely international, yeah. Um I think probably um twenty yeah, percent maybe being in the UK. Um, but largely international, from every country you can imagine, um, which really opened my eyes to the impact that we can achieve both through online education. But um, what you what universities um, really need, I think, help with from these private relationships, um, and. You know that was really brought to life through you know we had we held graduation events and and I get to speak to to graduates and the experiences and the challenges that they have to overcome um just really opened my eyes totally you know i I'd, I'd spent the previous you know i don't know ten or fifteen years on campus um and never had I come across those types of challenges that those students did
0: uh, I think the reason many people in the sector saw it as as such a success story was that here here you have a Russell Group University who is taking quite a big risk. Um, Essentially, it wasn't legally a joint venture, but what, what seemed to be a joint venture where you've got a genuine, deeply embedded strategic relationships across every level in the organization, in the university. Um, with true kind of relationships being built across, um, frankly, every department. Um, and, and that to me, looking from the outside in at the moment, seems to be, uh, on a bit of a negative trajectory. So it, it seems to me that most of the OPM relationships that exist today with universities are becoming a lot more Transactional universities are starting to uh, not necessarily back off, but but be a little bit more risk averse. Um, certainly, there's some more regulatory nuances, uh, that I think you have to deal with. I think you, as a uh, senior leader at a university, are probably more aware and, and are is less, you're less relaxed about what you can and can't do with an OPM partner. How are you looking at those things and how are you overcoming some of those challenges? Um, do you, do you think that's a fair statement? Um, how do we try and really demystify what OPM companies do? Um, how do we make it transparent for universities? How do we really try and explain where the value lies and, and, and kind of get the balance right between what universities are doing themselves versus um, asking OPM companies to do?
1: Uh, I think really good question. I think there's actually um, two parts to the earlier part of that question. Um, which get to the demystifying point. I think firstly, um, you were right. The relationship between Laurie and Liverpool was so embedded, um, and with, with amazing working relationships, as though they were in the same team almost in, in many cases. Um, but it's it sounds almost romanticised when when you were explaining that. Um, it you know I think it's you have to be realistic and say that that was a 15 to 20 year partnership that got to that point in time you know um there were i'm sure many many you know hurdles and bumps along the way where there were frustrations probably on both parts of that partnership um in in every single element and, and i you know i'd seen some frustrations at the time when i came in um you know I, and i i was there what was that um I was, I've only been gone for a couple of years so and I, and I started four or five years before that so maybe 7 years ago when I you know when I first joined um Laureus was um and is still a, largely an American um company. Um they have operations in Europe of course which which largely held um a, a, were responsible for the partnership. Um but there were certain areas, like in product development, was one area that was, had previously been um, managed out of the US. Although there, there were, you know, learning technologist, instructional designer roles um, within Europe, um, there, you know, it was still largely a, a US operation in that area. Um, so there was there was frustrations there, which um, you know, Mike coming in being um, being both within the UK, but also an ex. Um, I was going to say Liverpoolian, but because of our footballing allegiances, I definitely won't use that word. Um, but you know, an ex <laughs> Liverpool old boy, if you like, um, there were, there was, um, certainly a, a, a much greater immediate acceptance, um, for me coming in there. Um, so we were able to overcome a lot of barriers quite quickly, I would think. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got to a point, um, where, we were both working in, t- you know, both sides of the partnership were working really closely and in tandem. And then I, I recall well, um, when the announcement was made that the partnership would end. And there were people on both sides of the partnership picking up the phones immediately to contact what had become friends, um, at the university, um, to, console each other to um wonder why why would we end this like you know it was genuine like um, there were real close relationships that were built and and still to this day you know um i've got connections on both sides of the partnership on my facebook feed and we connect and you know we'd have lots of quality assurance events at the university be it um validation events or boards of studies in the boards of examiners and we would regularly be getting together um, as a as a team a single team across both sides going for dinners and 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 socializing together as well so it was it was it sounds romanticized um the way it was put but it was 15 to 20 years in the making um and i think um coming into the second part of what i wanted to mention was like how you know you mentioned about the the universities now considering opms and there's maybe a bit more fear around it um i think it because they've seen that it's probably taken 15 to 20 years (laughs) to to get to that point where it was, um, you know, largely a a smooth operation. Um, I think we're at a point in time now where obviously the, um, maybe not the know-how around OPMs is clear, but certainly know-how around digital technologies and innovation and learning and teaching. I think they are areas where universities, you know, and many of the colleagues I've I've collaborated with over the years in that space um you know could could do a great job in 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 that kind of responsibility for for you know developing online programs and and bringing pedagogies into place. Um so so that exists. Um I think where you where universities really need a lot of help um is in both recruitment of students internationally into online programs with a commercial lens, you know, universities are not traditionally commercial in nature. Um, And certainly, um, certainly whilst having lots of areas of expertise in universities, as I said, for digitization and pedagogy and scaling, that is another, is another step. Um, and and the resourcing that goes behind that is another step that universities typically don't have in place. Of course, there are some universities that are doing great stuff. You know, obviously the Open University have, ha- have been going for a long time. And um, you've got places like Derby Online that is you know all internal and and the scaling and, and making an impact with both domestic and international enrollments. You've got Coventry University doing lots of work. So um, people are doing it. Um, you know Harriet what you could probably you could probably keep on going with the number of universities that have in house operations and mm-hmm. are being successful um but by and large i think my ex- my in my experience i think the big barrier there is the investment that opm companies will make to de risk the situation for universities um which is you know without doubt um a, a kind of um, an advantage for universities and, and can help them along the way so that's really important um and then the point of demystifying um, i think there's just always um there's always a bit of skepticism and mistrust around you know what might be seen as privatization in, in inverted commas maybe um of education um what does that mean people are concerned about revenue share agreements you know are, are the university maintaining their intellectual property rights like as you know, these are these are questions that will come forward in any kind of conversation that an OPM has, or any private conversation that any private company has um with a university. These are things that are really important. Um, maintaining quality. So um universities are rightly concerned about these areas. I think there are now, you know, OPMs coming through um in various guises, I, I think, that um can answer those questions. Or um, well, certainly, certainly the questions that need answering. I don't think the the revenue share agreement type, type stuff. Obviously, by and large, they're confidential agreements, but people are interested in them. Um, but um, I think universities recognise, in a large part, that they can't always do this themselves. And um, again, investment scale uh, are big, big issues. So um, I think we do need uh, something that we, you and I, have discussed for a little while. Actually, is in trying to open the open the floodgate a little bit to to do essentially that de- demystifying, and you know I know that companies like you have have called for for greater transparency in the OPM space. I'm not necessarily sure if that's followed through a great deal to demystify it. Um, But I also agree that this is an important thing that we should be doing to gain trust. I think we need to gain trust um, of universities and, and the range of stakeholders that are involved.
0: I've certainly seen a trend around the value that OPM companies provide to universities shifting from technology. I think many, many vendors are now um are able to work better and sell their solutions better into institutions directly that wasn't really the case in the past whether you know if you're a technology company you've got to have the i think the the perseverance and the patience more than anything else to try and um, you know uh, get your solution into a university and get past a, a cto or a chief information officer or you know, a C-level decision maker at a university. Um, I think that's being um, completely transformed. So you've got a lot of relatively small companies and startups that do a much better job today. And I think universities are a lot more receptive in transacting with smaller companies. Um and that wasn't the case. You, you, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I don't think any, uh, you know, large self-respecting university would ever transact with a startup, a technological startup, full stop. Um, so I think that's changing. That landscape is changing. I think that's very, very positive. I'm certainly seeing lots of universities being open to experiment with smaller, um, relatively untested providers. In, Um, In what space do you see that? Um, I'm seeing a lot of it in in the learning management system space. Um so there are there's a move away from the traditional um kind of LMS in in Moodle, Canvas, Blackboard um uh, you know to a more experiential learning, I think is the name of the term that they prefer to use. So um incendi Owler, a couple of companies to name a few They're certainly trying to lean on the kind of mobile first convenience aspect and and we can make a mental note and come back to that but i think that's a big uh trend um and 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 you know so you've got um companies in the um, student support and and kind of uh or student to staff comms space um i came across a company recently called vigo v-y-g-o uh that look incredible um and i think they're working with coventry again you can probably single coventry out as the the modern day darling <laughs> uh if we're if we're taking the title went fr- away from uh liverpool and laureate but um so, so I, th- I, th- I think that's happening. Um, so there's a trend of the o- OPM companies providing less value at a technological level than I think they used to. But I still think there's a huge role for OPM companies to play in s- certainly the commercial side. So, you know. Y- an opm an international learn an international online pnl needs a lot of needs a large cash injection up front for it to work um and it certainly isn't a cash rich business model uh it requires a long term view and a strategic buy in at a university level so you need to really go out into the world with a boom and invest into your brand and get your product right, and get your programs and portfolio spot on from a from from a you know a, an award perspective. Uh, certainly, in terms of the programs that you're delivering and are recruiting onto, to the price point, the entry criteria, um, so many kind of moving variables to get right. So I think there's away from just the capital. There's a consultancy piece that I think um, is needed. Uh, and And certainly it still is an issue from what i 'm seeing at a university level um truly understanding the international landscape um which becomes a lot more competitive when you go out and try and recruit onto a uh master's in public health degree uh you 're suddenly competing not just within your kind of uh, fifty mile radius with one or two other universities um or even you know with other universities in the UK but actually with every single university in the world that has an online degree uh in in public health and so how do you differentiate how do you so it, it almost becomes a um, insights and consultancy uh arrangement as well as actually operationalizing the the student journey, uh, the the marketing and the enrollment piece.
1: Absolutely, um, I think, and that flowed quite nicely there from um, <laughs> from the tech companies that are getting involved with universities like in Sandi and um, which I think, in in one respect, are pushing against an open door. In some senses, I think there's probably, and, and there are some very happy. Um, users of the likes of Blackboard, Canvas, and Moodle, of course. Um, I feel, though, that there is also acknowledgement that um, they were probably not designed originally for great learning and teaching, um, and certainly not for online learning and teaching. So I think um, I think there's growing acceptance for innovation in those spaces. ala and, and Sandy, I think, class themselves as um, learning experience platforms or learner experience platforms. Um And and taking it in a a slightly different direction, and being more about the user experience, and being less clunky with less bloat in the system. Um, So I certainly welcome that. Um, But then when you bring that back, you know, bring all that back into into the direction your point went into into um, OPMs adding value to universities. I think OPMs generally look at providing a range of services to universities that you could probably break down in different ways. I think you could probably think of uh, of three maybe three core areas if you wanted to kind of couple them together one being that broader product strategy and digitization piece so you mentioned that a minute ago like how do you differentiate when you're now competing against you know 40 different mbas just in the uk alone that are all online never mind the leading institution's from across Europe like INR than everyone else and then you've got the US market which is insane you know and and ranges in price hugely um so so that's really difficult so you know OPMs will generally offer a, a product strategy piece to help work on that um and then follow that through to um what we would probably all like to think that we've got great um experience and expertise in learning design and digitization um uh, so that's kind of, you could probably class that product strategy and digitization piece as one core theme. Um, you've probably got another obvious core theme of um, marketing and student recruitment, um, primarily focused on digital marketing te- techniques um, and recruiting students, You know, as I said, from every country you can imagine. Um I'm not. um, I've never really worked in an enrollment team within a university, but um, I imagine they're probably not as commercially sensitive as um, um, or sensitized like what the OPM companies are. And and that's not to say the OPM companies take a you know a pure you know door to door sales approach by any stretch, because they don't. And and we've both got that experience with actually highly professional and and you know. Trained in the brands and, and work as an extension to the university, so it's actually a very high quality extension of, of the university. Um, but it, it is still, you know, there's lots of KPIs behind that. As you know, there are, you know, there are CRMs, and it's it's a very serious aspect of the business um, in Inverted commons. Um, so, so the, you know, the, the marketing and student recruitment element is, is a really key piece that universities, I, I, I believe, um, need help with. Um, and then the third piece is an extension of academic delivery and student support, which, um, often OPMs can provide. And I think, you know, my eyes were, again were really opened up when I joined Laureate in, into this area as well, because I think at one point Laureate might have had 600 faculty on, you know, on, on the, on the book, so to speak, um, teaching across all of those modules and programs at, at Liverpool um, and across the other partnerships um, and and the student support pieces was something like I'd never seen. Like I'd worked in, on campus for so long and yes, they've got maybe like a student center where students can go with the general help, but, um, this yep. opened my eyes to realise that actually you've got a dedicated student support team, and and sometimes might even have a dedicated support manager, like an actual name who will support you with your pastoral needs on the program. Um, you know, if you've got concerns about finance, if, you, if you've got concerns with being able to juggle, you know, your family and your work and and, and the whole work life balance while studying, like you, these are people and professionals that you can go to, um, and and the, just the, just the levels of that was just like nothing i'd ever seen and i was like this is this is amazing like this this was a new direction for me having been on a you know quite an academic pathway in my career um and and I, I just loved it immediately so um yeah so so those those three areas are you know the the marketing recruitment the product strategy and digitization and then the um academic delivery and student support piece that that can be added i think they're probably the three key areas for opms to add value and um you can see on each level there how universities may struggle to adapt to that um or where they already struggle of course you can't question universities you know experience in academia <laughs> and, and subject knowledge but but to be able to scale that um to um you know such to ten thousand students you know are there also, and we're in 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 an environment where you know, the the research excellence framework was pressuring univer- or is pressuring universities to be research active in high quality journals. You know, the the costs associated for universities to scale to ten thousand students is probably beyond imagination. Um I don't know. Um so so there's, there's lots in there about um how how OPMs are adding volume.
0: Um How are you looking at – so I'm super curious about kind of the product piece um, specifically. So for me, when I look at succeeding with international student recruitment onto online programs, um, for me, the the product is the program. But the product has um, so many kind of key – considerations from a student perspective right so you've got the university itself um the awarding body who's the university you know rankings um quality of faculty TEF, ref etc etc um you've got the program itself so the relevance of the curriculum the the way that it's assessed, and the, the way the students are assessed, um, the kind of the commercial component, so the price, the flexibility in paying the tuition fees, and of course these are all self fund by and large, self-funded students, and whether they're paying for the tuition fees themselves or are being funded by their employer, if they're lucky. Um, there's all of these considerations and, and, and it seems, and I think where universities may struggle is actually making sense of that as a landscape and designing a product or a program that, you know, where all of these variables are aligned and you need them all to align for, for it to be a success and to scale to 10,000 plus students. Um, how are you look how are you thinking about those things? What do you think are some of the more important variables um less so yeah
1: yeah um so it's interesting that the you know we in the kind of commercialization of education we in the o p m space talk about product a lot. I remember my horror at joining laureate and thinking these are not products, these are educational programs that are genuinely you know life-changing for these students like really um so i remember being horrified at these product um, and, they are. and they are um and now i use the new way the word product every day it just <laughs> kind of just becomes um second nature but um yeah i mean you you said the context well there about the the range of what of of what we're seeing and as i think we actually started to see you know a commercialization element when you know the, the in the uk when the fee adjustment came in and we, everyone started charging nine thousand pounds a year, um, like I think we we then started to see a bit of a shift in attitudes, particularly from students who are now almost paying customers, um, and they they expect the level of service and and, and support and, and customer satisfaction. That like it, it started to shift in that direction. Um, so when you apply that and there's been you know there's many commentators and commentaries around you know the kind of return on investment if you like of of a university education i was actually uh had an ebook the other day listening to, to something talking about return on investment of the mba in the us you know often paying you know hundreds of thousands of dollars and um and what's the return on investment there and there's there's i think there's fairly good data about um earning more money in your life and, and stuff like that um as as a financial component there but um i think when it comes down to the to the product um it does put a bit of pressure on to evolve what products or programs have traditionally typically been in universities you know um oftentimes they were traditionally very theoretical in nature um and the shift has been to translate those programs to be, yes, provide the underpinning theory, but actually translating that into practice. Um, and, you know, I think the healthcare kind of subject are really good and the education subject are really good. Uh, the the leap between theory to practice, um, that's that's an, an ongoing thing that's been happening for a long time. But just generally across the board, I think that that's something we're seeing now. And we're starting to see, um, or and I don't know if it's necessary, starting to see, we we are seeing... Um, an influx of um completely external companies getting involved in education and they're not education companies so you know you've got i mean we could we could list many could I maybe mean, you've got amazon doing their own stuff you've got Salesforce as a crm having their own education system um all these different types of of private companies expanding their almost like expanding their ecosystem and being part of of Um, addressing the solution, Mm -hmm. not just having a technical solution, but being part of the education part as well um, to drive forward. You've got Tableau and all these different companies that are are doing great stuff in innovating in the technology space and the services space, also getting involved. I think these big companies are
0: just... Yeah, these big companies are seeing that universities are simply not... Actually, using um, their technology, which which by and large, you know, is embedded into certain industries and verticals, um, and so they're in the middle uh, kind of of the argument between employers and the academic institutions, where you know they've worked hard to essentially become the preferred software solution or stack or ecosystem in a certain um, vertical, or certain industry. But they're actually, you know, I think they took it upon themselves to start creating content uh, for their tools and their ecosystems because universities have failed to do so um, when they should have. And so, you know, you had a lot of marketing degrees with no mentions of uh, the Google ad Platform, uh, which which is bonkers. Most marketing is now online, and most marketing is now on Google, um, or or a large proportion of it. So, how is an institution, how is a university getting away with not training people to use the Google um, ad platform when it comes to you know, kind of your introduction to digital marketing?
1: Absolutely, and the same
0: can be said for many many uh, industries. And examples. So, they ultimately, I think, took it upon themselves. And that's put pressure on universities right because um, it's highlighted some of the gaps in the curriculum um, and I think universities then went back and 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 said well no 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 don't worry we're we're, we're going to incorporate all of your content into our degrees and so I'm not sure sure who won and who benefited from that you ultimately I think if universities can embed uh, that external content into some of their core curriculum and even go and step further and actually recognize some prior learning. If students are doing some of those courses externally outside of the core curriculum, outside of the degree and outside of the university learning experience, then those will be the universities that really stand out. Um, you've got some phenomenal, obviously more kind of vocationally, uh, Orientated and, and, and practical uh content being produced, as you mentioned, by Amazon and Google and Salesforce and Tableau and SAP and etc. Um, and I think it's gonna be a bit of a race in terms of just how quickly can universities A recognize, B embed, C co-create potentially. Um but all of those things ultimately go back to what we were talking about, which is product. Um, so you're, you're trying to differentiate at a product level. And I think where that's where OPM companies can, can really flourish, um, help universities ultimately create, create a better, uh, consumer product. And I'm sorry if I'm really, really crude in some of the terminology that I'm using, but, um, yeah. It's um, it is what it is. Uh, Students are consumers, and programs are
1: products. (laughs) It's true. It's 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 really going that direction, Um, and it's it's a really interesting space. I think it's I think there's two things I wanted to get out there. One about the role of MOOCs in opening up some of this work. I think as a kind of precursor, Um, um, and secondly, a reliance on the risk of a reliance on particular technological solutions that might not be around so I think you know when we had the Coursera stuff come out um probably what 20 years ago now was it how long ago was it 2000 2005 something like that. whatever it was long time ago now um you know we had a lot of the educational media reporting that you know there'll only be 10 universities left in the world because why would anyone else want to study with anyone else when they can study from Harvard and MIT for free and, and all that kind of stuff. Of course it didn't transpire quite like that. Um, but what I think, um, and then of course there was all the stuff about completion rates of MOOCs and, um, and, and that was called into question, but like what MOOCs have done well um, and made everyone across education stand up and take a bit of note is that actually you can, pre- you can change how, um, Online education might be perceived as an experience. So, you know, invariably these, these, you know, they come along with, with platforms which are probably a bit more directed towards the actual need of delivering the content. Um, albeit the, the broader pedagogies might, might not have always been there. Um, I think there's been work in that, but, um, you know, so they've brought these new technologies forward. They're, they're I think, really the first to really solidly establish media as a format for delivering education um you know some of the earlier work that i'd done in online certainly was not largely media based at all um so it was large of tech and and the open university's background was of course in text shipping out you know text text text-based materials to students um so i think really brought that influx of video um in a time where of course youtube was bustling with you know thousands of hours a day being uploaded a video and um, and that was something that i think was accepted really well and they could do that um with a relative pace um without necessarily costing the earth to do um so i think that was one kind of precursor kind of agent of change if you like um certainly those mm-hmm. i think those companies actually made, you know they could well see that the likes of salesforce and everyone else um Micro-credentials come into play, of course, with Salesforce, which is a very interesting um, you know, trend um, for their badging and certification schemes. Um, so that's really interesting. And then the second part that I mentioned was the reliance on technology. So the role that universities have is, is very careful. It, it, they can't just rush to say, okay, well, let's all use Google and let's all use Salesforce. Uh, now, I can't at this point imagine a life without Google or amazon (laughs) it'd be quite some change to get to that state i think um given the you know the how embedded they are in in everyday lives but um some of these tools might not necessarily be the tools that are the only or best solution um so universities have to develop that kind of critical level of understanding and the critical component and the literacies around using different software tools and applying theory to practice in different ways not necessarily just this is how you add a user in salesforce and how you um you know query some data in tableau it's the broader it's the broader literacies that are really important um in, in all those cases um i was going to say something else and i've forgotten The, the, other okay. piece, the other piece related to that is um the globalization that we've seen um especially in online education so you know we're doing a lot of work at the moment um not just in domestic UK not just in those you know all those countries that we would we would normally recruit students from internationally but the the, the countries and the geographies that have very cultural specific contexts um we're doing work in India we're looking, we're doing more work in China, where of course Google isn't a thing. So if we're delivering online education globally, um, you know, we have to, it, it's got to be more about the literacies, not just the specific tools.
0: So, so what are the strategies um, if you want to go into the non, uh, Kind of the the, the non traditional mass markets internationally. So, um, I think most universities, if you're looking at um, their online international students, is primarily Europe, Middle East, Africa, um, where perhaps language is less of an issue. Um, so you're you're able to um, really find enough volume of students who can speak the language um, who have got the purchasing power um, and the hunger for education and to kind of really level up and advance in their career. Um, but you've got huge markets like LATAM um, as you mentioned, Southeast Asia, India, China, who you don't really associate with pure online um, and, and, these are clearly big t and markets. You've got lots of students coming into the UK, um, but you're seeing a lot less of an opportunity, at least so far, uh, with students that are studying online and are staying in their respective countries and, and are doing a British degree um, without coming into the UK. Any tips or, or kind of strategies for universities who are looking to move into those markets and, and and capture some of that market share
1: it's, it's really interesting I think um I think from what I've observed that more traditionally I think universities would think of course there's great there's a greater law to to UK education or US education for that matter um, uh, and Australian education um and I think there was a kind of a, a traditional belief that you know like if they build they will you know if we build they will come um and and then slowly a realization that these are cultural contexts which are very different um and it's not as simple as that um latam huge market um you know with the work we done at laureate with the university of miami we really saw miami being or, or miami was seen as the gateway to latin america in the us and surely that must be Miami.
0: Miami is Latin America. Yeah. It, it
1: really, like, I, was what- yeah I was surprised. Miami. Yeah.
0: Miami is Latin America.
1: Yeah. yeah. I was surprised like in many parts of Miami, it, you know, Spanish is the first language. <laughs> like, um, it's, it's a really interesting, and I, I it's funny because when I speak to people, I don't think, um, I don't think many Americans see Miami or like Las Vegas as being America. They're like the, the different places. It's not really America. Um, so that's really interesting. But, um, yeah, so with Miami being like you know the the, the gateway to to Latin America, um, surely we're talking about millions of people that would you know snap the hands off of these degrees. But then with the U.S. system, it's it, obviously it's it's much more expensive than than the UK system. But you know you can go online and look at the price of an online MBA at Miami, and it's I don't recall somewhere in the region of eighty thousand um, dollars. But um, Latin America is a very price sensitive market um and that's in common with with india and southeast asia um also great affinity for for uk or us education um but highly highly uh, sensitive market to price so um uh, you know there and are language uh, i oh, think I'm... language
0: is the is the other issue yeah. um, you, you've you've got less people speaking english um in latin america um for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um and I think that's that's a barrier to most institutions who aren't ready to start delivering degrees in other languages. Just conscious of time, um, and so I think we we need to start wrapping up. Um I'd love to maybe end by just getting your take on, you know, three, four, five key takeaways for universities who are looking to either move into the kind of online international space or scale uh, beyond what what the current kind of portfolio and, and student numbers look like.
1: Yeah, I think the I think the the key points are um, really delving into the strategy of how you are going to invest into recruiting students is is a really critical point. Um, typically, university marketing budgets you know they might be expansive but they do certain things um when you get into the competitive commercialization space that we're in um you know we will be competing on program level search terms which which is not something that normal universities do so as you said earlier on it requires a significant investment so that's a real key strategic point for the university to consider Um, I, and I think they will actually go on and mirror the areas that I added that, that I said OPMs add value to. So they need to consider the, the marketing and, and student recruitment elements and how they can invest in that. And um, how do they innovate in pedagogy and digital technology to provide a world-class online experience? Um, how are they going to deliver those programs to students internationally at scale? So I think they are, three of the biggest questions that universities need to ask themselves. Um, I think there's probably a fourth point, which we haven't really discussed a great deal, is the innovation technology. And we're seeing the role of artificial intelligence come in, be it as a, you know, uh, supporting student element on a more pastoral nature. So, you know, we've had multiple colleges and universities introduce things like Watson as, you know, an AI tool, um, or machine learning tool to support those needs, but then there's all, I'm also coming across interesting tools which can bring AI into the more of the academic subject space as well. So, like, how are we how are we looking at these emerging technologies? Um, I think in, in completely online education, the learning analytics piece becomes a bigger deal as well because these are not students that you can see on a daily basis face to face. So, um, I think they would probably be, you know, what, four four pieces of of things that um, universities need to think critically on.
0: Awesome. Uh, I think that was super, super useful. Thank you. Um, Thank you for your time. I'm sure we will be catching up soon at some point, but um, I'm glad that we could do this. I've I've wanted to do this for a while. So I think um, there's a ton of actionable kind of insights and information here. I'll try and sum all of that up into some uh, show notes. Hopefully that could be useful for um, anybody who's listening. Um, Have a wonderful weekend and i'm sure i'll talk to you soon peter
1: thank you very much for it has been great to connect and i've have, have more of this chat that we do need to take
0: have a good day bye bye that's it for this episode for really useful links and references to topics we covered please check out businessofeducation.co.uk. i really try and go above and beyond connecting what was covered to high quality external resources so you can have some really tangible and actionable quick wins. Please, please, please share this with anybody in the business of education you think this would add value to. And lastly, I'd love to hear your feedback. If you'd like to be on the show yourself or recommend someone, please reach out on LinkedIn on Vitaly Klopot, that's V-I-T-A-L-Y K-L-O-P-O-T and write me a note. I'll be sure to get back to you. Thank you.